0: This is Husker Online, your authority on Nebraska athletics. In this weekly show, the Husker Online team will give you the latest insight on Husker football, basketball, baseball, and, of course, recruiting. Now, here's your host, Husker Online publisher, Sean Callahan. Hello here and
1: welcome to this edition of the Husker Online show. Sean Callahan, Ron Wachett, Nate Klaus says we are in the dog days of the off season, guys, it's going to be a long offseason. I, I just think, um, you know, li- not a lot of things moving, but there are still questions about the staff. We're taping the show Wednesday, so, um, you know, there could be some things that shake out here later in the week. Um, but I don't think a lot has changed on one front. I think we all would agree that Mike Dawson's coming back to be the outside linebackers coach. Um, I, and this is something I, I said in the chat and, and writing in 321. I don't know if there's going to be a whole lot of other movement on this staff. Now, the one interesting component that we have to watch out for is special teams. What will Nebraska do with special teams, guys? Because it's my understanding Mike Dawson is only going to be the OLB's coach. Um, so I think there's a lot of different avenues that they're exploring. Um, and, and that might be one of the, the, the delays on why they haven't really made an announcement yet.
2: Yeah, and it's interesting because they can go a few different routes with that, but I think there's zero question that that is an area that um, needs some pretty uh, locked-in oversight. Uh, I don't think this is something where you just tack that on as, Um, You know, one of three responsibilities for one coach along with their position group and recruiting. So um, I I think that they need a dedicated special teams coach in some capacity. Now, uh, is that going to be in the form of some sort of analyst position or are they going to be a full-time special teams coach or or how they're going to do that? But um, Nebraska special teams have been a liability uh, to say the least over the last few seasons. And that has to get fixed if they're going to be competitive in the Big Ten because they're already walking such a fine line right now and trying to keep up with the Joneses in this league, uh, to where you can't have the third element uh, be you know detrimental the way it has been. So I'm very curious to see what specific route they go towards handling that because there's no doubt it needs improvement.
3: Yeah, it definitely needs improvement, and, and you you have to have some sort of expert there. I think, I, um, you know, we we saw the dedicated special teams coordinator only position kind of fail under Riley. Um, and, and we've seen pretty much every, which, every other which way you could do it. Um, you know, some successful, some not successful. So I, I don't know uh, how they're going to attack this, but, yeah, it does seem like Dawson's not going to be um, handling a lot of those duties. So I don't know if you split it up amongst the staff or if you have a, a dedicated person or an analyst or, or what uh, kind of handling that type of stuff. But that is, that's probably, I think, the biggest question now. I mean, we're familiar with Dawson and what he can do. Obviously, we know he can coach outside linebackers because uh, he's done it at the highest level. He's done it at, at other spots or other stops in the in the past. But, um, you know, who is going to be the special teams guy and, and how are they going to handle that? I, I think that's – to me, at least, that's the biggest question uh, about the staff changes. Well, and if they
1: go analyst route, basically a pseudo 11th coach more or less. Um, and I, I think that's the direction it's going right now. If Just from the people I've had conversations with, um what are you allowed to do like what i mean how much and and nate you might know more about this than other i mean i I think there's obviously some restrictions and and field access and things that you have to be careful with but in the sec it's a very common thing uh to to go this direction uh because it is tough for a position coach to also do that at the same time and um i'm guessing that there aren't very many of the position coaches right now stepping up that say "Hey, i want to do the special teams too
3: Yeah, I mean that was that was kind of the the kiss of death, probably, or or one of one aspect that that kind of did Javon Dewitt in, uh, or maybe one reason why he decided to look elsewhere for work. But um, as far as I understand it, if you're an analyst, you can be heavily involved in the game planning and the prepping and everything. Kind you can of be, meet with players. Meet right? with players. You can do all that behind the scenes, but you're. Availability and your access and, and your the type of interactions you can have with players on the football field is is pretty limited still and uh, I know KU got popped um, you know I think just just this past year having some you know interns or analysts or whatever be extremely involved in practice and actually on the field coaching at practice um, and and so you have to be careful with you know how you how you handle that as far as I understand it. Um, so, I mean, the, now the analyst position that has been a, a kind of a, a role that has really changed a lot, just see here over the last couple of years, but especially over the last you know five plus years. But um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see you know if that is the route they go, you know, just how much that person can actually do on the on the field.
1: And the NCAA, I mean, I think people would like to see them. I'll put a cap on this, but then you run into fair employment deals here and, and you know job situations where you can't deny a guy right to work um, and, and that's why there is no cap so it is a huge advantage for the Big Ten and the SEC if this is the route Nebraska goes that you essentially can hire guys like Frank Verducci right now who's a former coordinator in, in the division one ranks mm-hmm. and you have other guys on the staff that have been coordinators of the FCS levels um, that are behind the scenes and um, I, I just get the sense that's the direction this is probably going uh, with special teams. And, um, you know, maybe that's what's holding things up um, as a Wednesday here, why we don't really know, um, even though the coaching staff is going out on the road here any day.
2: Well, even with the, you know, maybe limited on-field work they can do, uh, just game planning and coordinating you know, all the, the redshirt stuff. I mean, all that stuff that was on these coaches' plates week in, week out – You remove that and just allow some analyst, even if he's not on the practice field every day, to handle that. That is such a weight off of the rest of the staff. And I mean the on field stuff you can, you know, handle as a staff as long as uh you know, you have one guy kind of just running the show a little bit and um the Another example of you know people utilizing that analyst position is uh, you know Nebraska basketball. Fred Hoiberg. He's got Bobby Lutz, a longtime former head coach, uh, who's now on the sideline, basically just helping out. Uh, and he's on the bench. And he makes six-figure money, right? Yeah, and I mean they're, they're paying him like a coach. He has just as much input as, as a coach. The only thing he doesn't do is go out and recruit. So uh, I think that's. A, I mean, it's not it goes beyond just football. That that analyst role. I mean, there's so much wiggle room there, and a lot of different things you can uh, capitalize on. That if you're kind of a fool not to take advantage of that. Yeah,
3: I mean, those guys could definitely draw things up and and meet with people, meet with the coaching staff, meet with the players behind the scenes. Um, I think the basically just the only thing that's really limited is, is how much you can act, what type of interaction, I guess I should say, you can actually have with the players on the field during practice.
1: Now, if it is just Dawson coming on as the only coaching movement, are you guys surprised by that? I mean, did you think that maybe we'd see Another piece or two move on and we still don't know there could be some assignment duty changes and titles handed out as well um, as, as a part of, of this release that we're expected to get maybe by the end of the week
2: well yeah rumors are still running rampant uh, maybe they've toned down a little bit but I think a lot of people are expecting there to be some more shake-ups um, you know, especially on the offensive end uh, and you know, we'll see what happens over the next few days, but um, you know, the fact that you know Dawson is coming back certainly didn't catch anybody by surprise. Continuity is such an important thing for Frost. Uh, the fact that a guy that was with him since day one at UCF uh, has been at Nebraska—it would be about as seamless of a transition as you could possibly look for. Uh, so, kind of a no-brainer there. But um, yeah, with the rest of, with the rest of the stuff, you know that. Those rumors were flying, and I guess they still are uh, as, as of taping. Uh, so I think, yeah, a lot of people expected there to be more. And if there's not, I think that'll be just as much of a surprise as there would be with any uh, potential shakeup.
1: Well, I can tell you the whole staff has been up in, in the offices. I mean, there's, so there's been no – you know, it's, it's obvious when there's meetings and recruiting going on and a guy's missing. You kind of know at that point what's going on. And I can tell you right now everyone's up there. Mm-hmm. So uh, that's kind of where things stand. Nate, anything to add?
3: I just it's it's always fun, um, or I'm, I guess <laughs> from our perspective. It, yeah. I don't know <laughs> if it is for for the coaches, but um, yeah, a guy like Mickey Joseph has been hired ten different times already, um, and so there's always <laughs> tons Bob, of rumors. Bob Davy, yeah, Bob Davies getting his cable installed, and so uh, there's always a ton of rumors that fly around this time of year. Whenever there is. Uh, shake up or potential that someone's moving or Tosh went, Lepoy came here at yeah, Edward he uh, Ed Orgeron. Tosh, yeah Edward uh, interviewed for the D-Line job and uh, or, or whatever yeah it's it's always the the amount of rumors that that start to fly around anytime there's uh, any type of movement or or a change of responsibilities is pretty interesting
1: well, hopefully, we'll know more here soon. When we come back. Uh, the The way too early top twenty fives have started to make their way out, and it doesn't look good for Nebraska's schedule. We'll discuss that next. Here, you're listening here to the Husker Online Show.
0: You're listening to HuskerOnline.com, your authority on Nebraska athletics.
1: And we're back here on the Husker Online Show. This segment of the Husker Online Show brought to you by Tanner Sports Bar and Grill with locations in Omaha and Lincoln. Get on into Tanner's, watch Husker basketball on Saturday. They'll have the NFL playoffs on Sunday as well at any one of those Omaha or the Lincoln locations. Well, guys, uh, the way too early top 25s have made their way out. And a year ago at this time, there was a lot of excitement because Nebraska found themselves in these polls. Um, Obviously, Nebraska not a part of these polls, but a whole lot of people Nebraska plays next year are in, in the rankings right now. I mean, anywhere upwards of six. Uh, You've got Cincinnati um, ranked anywhere from 15 to 20. Um, I think they're regarded as the second best group of five team next year after Memphis, but it's kind of like one, a one B Cincinnati returns everybody. I think that's a reason why Luke Fickle did not go pro or did did not take another job elsewhere uh, because you know, the concept, The perception is he's kind of waiting out maybe a decent Big Ten job, maybe like Michigan State or, you know, Antonio or something happened there. He's kind of waiting out a Midwest job. But you've got Minnesota, Wisconsin, Penn State, Iowa, um, Ohio State. And Ohio State is clearing away, you know, the favorite right now in the Big Ten with Fields coming back. They're number two behind Clemson. Uh, but then after that, it's kind of a crapshoot. Minnesota, though, is getting a lot of early love already for next season.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's funny because uh, depending on what you look at, you know, Minnesota's getting a lot of love, but USA Today is the one I'm just looking at right now, has them as the first team has just missed the cut. So uh, it really depends on where you look, and you know, I'll, I'll preface all of this. And
1: CBS has them at number 11.
2: Yeah, I mean, so I'll preface all this with no one has any idea what they're talking about when you look at what's going to happen in, in September here in January, but – it's it's conversation, but you know, just here, I'll, I'll maybe Sean, you can read the other one you're looking at, but uh, of, on Nebraska's schedule next year, you got Ohio State, obviously, you got uh, Penn State at seven, um, Iowa at ten. So there's three teams on your schedule that are in a preseason top ten list. Then you go a little bit further down, and you got Cincinnati at sixteen, then you got Wisconsin at eighteen, and then uh, obviously Minnesota and just missed the cut. But I will say with this USA Today one, guess who else just missed the cut? Nebraska, so <laughs> the hype they were those clicks. The hype train has not slowed down despite uh, the <laughs> woeful past three seasons.
3: Yeah, Iowa to me is going to be the team, at least as far as the Big Ten West goes. Uh, I think is going to be getting a lot of love, um, you know, preseason new Come, quarterback though. Well, yeah, they lose a lot. Yeah, but I, I just think the way they finished the season last year, and I, they do lose an awful lot, and they've got lost a lot of juniors to the draft. Uh, but I think that. The uh, the initial outlook, I think, will will kind of put Iowa uh, pretty high, and or have that as a, as a team in the Big Ten West that's going to be getting a lot of love from people uh, just by the way they finished the year. I mean that the, the their bowl game over USC uh, was was a pretty dominant win there. Uh, over over another strong brand in the Trojans, so uh, I think as far as the Big Ten West goes, that that's that's going to be someone that gets a lot of love. But uh, you, you do look at Iowa, Wisconsin, Minnesota, all those teams do lose quite a bit. And Nebraska, uh, although not not included in the top twenty five, they do return a lot of players. So it'll be interesting to see how that kind of stacks up.
1: You're listening here to the Husker Online Show as we talk about the way too early. Uh, top 25 poll that, that came out, and Wisconsin intrigues me too, guys, because they they lose so much. I mean, Jonathan Taylor's gone. Um, I think some of those linebackers on defense. Yeah, I
2: can't pronounce his name, Bayadaz or whatever. And their
1: center's gone. Um, you know, he's the Remington Award winner, I believe, at mm-hmm. center. Um, but, I mean, there's a lot of good guys they've lost. Crookshanks is in the transfer portal, which I don't understand yeah, that. that was crazy. That's probably, the, of all the transfer portal ones out there, that one and then the Houston quarterback uh, that just declared um you know caught some folks by surprise because he was adamant he wasn't going to be doing that uh, but yeah the, the Wisconsin to me they have cone back but they lose NFL running back and they lose NFL receivers um so it, they're gonna have to prove it to me but they've they've been in this position before and they've they've proven a lot of people wrong
2: that's the thing like I think they're to the point now where until Wisconsin shows that it actually is has fallen off no one's going to project them to fall off anymore uh we've learned that lesson too many times that no matter what, they're going to find a way to get 10 wins and be right in the conversation of the Big Ten West Championship. It's, it's just what Wisconsin is as a program right now. And yeah, they've lost a lot. I mean, losing Jonathan Taylor is a huge deal. And uh, there's some serious questions about what that running back group looks like behind him. Uh, and then with the offensive line, you know, they already had some turnover last year. And now you lose a guy early to the draft um, and they're starting center. You know, they, they got some rebuilding to do. But he could have said that last year. He could have said that the year before and the year before. So, yeah, Until Wisconsin actually does uh, regress and I actually see it, I'm not going to project them to do that. But one thing that's crazy about Nebraska's schedule and those top 25 teams is you look at the second half stretch from Halloween, October 31st to November 27th. Nebraska plays at Ohio State, host Penn State, at Iowa, at Wisconsin, and then home against Minnesota. For the way for a season to end like that, you know, I know uh, no buys in there. Yeah, I mean, I can't remember that ever happening with that kind of just gauntlet that Nebraska's had to go through on the back end of the schedule, and so that makes those non-conference games now all of a sudden Cincinnati's a top twenty team.
1: Well, Central Michigan played for a MAC title, yeah,
2: and you open with Purdue in your season opener. I mean, this 2020 schedule could be. A meat grinder well, in a lot of different ways. And how they start those first five or six seven. games, seven games, uh, will ultimately determine if they go to a bowl next year or if it's four four Christmases in a row at home.
1: you could argue Vegas is only going to have Nebraska maybe a dog in one game of their first seven, and, and that would be the Cincinnati game, and that's going to be a lower spread anyway. Um, but Nebraska's probably favored at home against Purdue, favored against Rutgers on the road, and I think they're probably favored or really close to being favored against Northwestern, so... Um, I don't see – that. that's where, Nate, the, the schedule, the first seven has to be where Nebraska makes their hay, there's no doubt.
3: Well, they, yeah, they have to. Um, now, my question is, what do you think Vegas will put as the, the win total? Six and a half. Yeah, it's, that's kind of what I'm thinking. Yeah, I'd probably say five and a half. But, yeah, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if it is five and a half um, or, or six. But, I mean, <laughs> you, they, they have to get off to an early start. And I know – I feel like we were kind of having the same conversation about the yeah. 2018 season a couple years ago, you know, and what that looked like. But now all of a sudden this schedule, the 2020 schedule, <laughs> looks – this is hard. if I mean, not it's more an difficult. Absolute
2: beast. Like there's, <laughs> there's no easy stretch whatsoever. When you're talking about your easiest stretch being playing conference games, playing division games, we know how that goes. Yeah. And so, sure, they might be a favorite, but it'll be like a, a three-point favorite. It's like which, the NFL. Coin yeah. flip. And so, <laughs> uh, that opener, uh, there's so much importance on that. If you can start off getting one to zero in Big Ten play with a home win over Purdue, who you know they're they're going to be He's beating you twice in, in, in the a conversation. Is beating you twice in a row. That all of a sudden changes your whole scope of what Central Michigan and South Dakota State and even Cincinnati look like. Uh, Those first four games, all at home, are critical for Nebraska to get to postseason play.
1: And then you go to Northwestern, which is like a home game. Um, There's a bye in there. You have Rutgers. Um, Illinois comes to Lincoln early in the year, too, right?
2: Yeah, October 10th, right after the Northwestern game.
1: And then there's a bye before 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 Rutgers. Rutgers.
2: Before the trip to Rutgers. The
1: much-needed bye before... I mean, yeah. and Rutgers is going to be bad. I mean, you got to figure Shiano and the roster there. It's going to take take a while to get that thing going for him.
2: Yeah, and then then that's when that that second half flips, and you go to Ohio State, and then the the real the the new season begins.
1: Got it. We've had so many trips to Ohio State, Robin, where it's like the night game, and you, oh, yeah. you, you just feel like you know. The last time they were there, though, to be fair, Nebraska almost won that game. Yeah, they should have. But we've <laughs> we've, we've covered it? so many just
3: like. But that was an eleven a.m. The first time they haven't played a night C- game. Yeah, kind of caught. Oh, I think I
2: feel like they kind of caught Ohio State sleeping a little bit th- that day. Mm. What could have been? But yeah, I mean, that if then all of a sudden, if you're not in a situation where you need like only one or two more to get to six, I don't know where that those couple wins are coming from because none of the, they're going to be probably heavy dogs in every single game for the second half of the year
1: well when we come back uh, speaking speaking heavy dogs Nebraska basketball um they were heavy dog <laughs> but um played respectable ball at times against Ohio State at times um they have Indiana on Saturday we'll talk to Robin Washett about that next here you're listening to the Husker Line Show
0: this is Husker Online your authority on Nebraska athletics in the first half of that game, uh, the ball was not getting side to side. And we were trying to go in and shoot over length. And you can't do that. We've had multiple times now uh, where we've tried to drive and shoot over uh, size. You know, It's not something we can simulate in practice. Obviously, we don't have that. So uh, you have to be selective. You have to be uh, willing to drive in there to make a play for a teammate. Second half, we did that. The ball was moving. It was hopping. It was getting side to side. We were creating driving lanes. We had great spacing.
1: And we're back here on the Husker Line Show. Nebraska, though, falls to Ohio State on the road, 80-68. to 68. They were a 17-and-a-half-point dog in that game, and um, there were actually opportunities, Robin, um, for Nebraska to to make that an interesting game, um, but they just didn't show up, particularly Cam Mack um, you know, had one of his slower nights for Nebraska, and, and, and the shots that he normally makes weren't falling.
2: Yeah, I mean, he still had 10 and 6, but it was... Uh, On 15 not, shots, though? Yeah, not not your typical uh, max stat line, just in the, in the sense of efficiency. Uh, and he was kind of a, a emblematic of the entire team, especially in that first half. I mean, that was as atrocious of an offensive performance as you're going to see through one half of basketball. I mean, they could not do anything. They missed... Um, Would they miss out? Ten, they missed ten total layups in that game, along with their poor three-point percentage, uh, and you know, guys were just missing bunnies and. Uh, that got them into an early hole. They were down by as many as 25 after jumping out to a quick 4-0 lead. Uh, And, I mean, you cannot – this team just is not built to overcome things like that. Uh, They are a front-runner team, and they need things to go well from the very beginning. And when you go on the road, especially against a team that at one point was ranked number one in the country in Ohio State, and you start a game like that, you have given yourself zero chance to win. And so even though they turned it around – and shot the heck out of the basketball. They were 54% from the field, like eight of 13 on three pointers in the second half they were just trading baskets uh, because, for one, they had already built built such a big hole, but two, uh, the defensive effort was just never there um, from the the entire night. And so they were just trading baskets and uh, couldn't catch up uh, much ground at all, even though uh, their offense uh, turned a corner after halftime.
1: And I don't think anybody was expecting Nebraska Robin to go into Ohio State and win. I mean, Ohio State has dominated Nebraska as much as really any team um, in the conference.
2: Yeah, and I think a lot, it's crazy. You go back to last year, I think Ohio State had lost like six in a row, came into Lincoln and, and snapped their, their losing streak. And that also was the game that Isaac Copeland blew out his knee and really. It was a Saturday game, yeah, right? Yeah, it really kind of was the, the downfall of, of last season. Uh, so Ohio State came in having lost four in a row. Um, you know they and, and they didn't look good at all. They they didn't score over sixty points in any of those games. They were barely shooting over thirty percent from the field, uh, and you know really were just struggling. And then before the game, they announced that two players, including one full time starter and the number two three point shooter in the country, had been suspended indefinitely for uh, I guess some sort of violation of team rules. You know that. That thing should have been much closer than it was, even though Ohio State's Ohio State, Nebraska's Nebraska. If Nebraska just plays remotely better in the first half, it's much closer than 12 points. And so, yeah, I don't think anybody expected them to win it, but that should have been a much more competitive game considering the circumstances, considering that, you know, Nebraska, you know they they needed to find a way to regain some momentum. After that disappointing Northwestern performance, you had a a reeling Ohio State team that if you just jump out to them, uh, maybe some, you know, Doubt starts creeping into Ohio State's mind and uh, they revert back to some old bad habits. But instead, they let Ohio State jump all over them right out of the gates and play with some confidence and swagger. Everybody kind of got going again. And once again, Nebraska proved to be the cure all for an opponent that needed to win in the worst way.
1: And, you know, Robin, Thor Bianarsis has been one of the guys. I know I just probably butchered his last name. Close.
2: Thor, Thor Bjarnarsson.
1: Ar- 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 uh, Ar- he is playing some really good basketball. I think when you look at all the positives that have come out, of this season I mean his improved play the way he cuts the way he moves the way he shoots um you know he's been as important as any player and and he kept Nebraska kind of
2: alive in that game at times absolutely he did he made five three-pointers in the second half scored all 15 of his points uh, after halftime when Nebraska like absolutely had to get something going to avoid that being a, a catastrophic blowout uh and after the game Fred Hoiberg himself said that Thor Thor is playing as well as anybody on our team right now and Uh, In my opinion, he's the feel good story of the season so far. Um, Where he was this summer, uh, in the eyes of a lot of people, to where he is now, um, you know, I mean, he is as important of a player on that roster that's not named Cam Mack. So uh, I I really like to see that, but, you know, they need more. I mean, Thor is not a guy that you're going to hitch your wagon to and carry you through the grind of Big Ten play. Um, You know, Deshaun Burke was four of 11 from the field. Uh, You know, Hanif Cheatham was four of 10 from the field. Uh, I mean, um, Ivan Wayderoga was one of five in the first half with three missed layups and two turnovers. I mean, they they need more. They can't just say one or two guys are going to win this game because, you know, they just don't have those players. You know, Cam Mack, like you said, he had an off night. And a lot of that had to do with guys just missing so many shots that that offense never found its groove until it was too late. So, um, the story of the year and the story of uh, that Ohio State game was: Can Nebraska put together forty full minutes of basketball? It's happened way too far and uh, in between. But uh, until that, you know, is able to be done, where they can actually have these uh, avoid these wild swings of performance uh, even within a game. You know, these are the results you're going to get, and it's going to be something they're going to have to overcome on a nightly basis.
1: And now Indiana comes in to Lincoln for a Saturday game, Saturday night game, six o'clock game here and. In- Uh, Pinnacle Bank Arena Robin And this is a team Nebraska um, Really surprised In Bloomington I don't think they're Going to surprise them Much this time around um, But it is a chance For an upset I think
2: yeah, I mean they should have beaten them out in Bloomington a month ago, and you know took that game to overtime. And uh, like you said, that was when people thought that maybe this team had turned a corner a little bit, because uh, all of a sudden, you know, the effort was there, the execution was there, the energy was there, uh, and it looked like uh, everybody hoped that it would look like. And they carried that over against Purdue, and all of a sudden you're starting to feel pretty good about the season. And so, you know, this is going to be a situation where Indiana is not going to take anything lightly. I mean, they know full well what Nebraska can do. Um, the fact that it's at Pinnacle Bank Arena, I think, is uh, obviously a big boost for Nebraska because they are such a emotionally volatile team that having that crowd behind them, um, they need that. And that's why they've struggled on the road so much, that they feed off the crowd's energy so much. So the recipe is going to be the same against Indiana as it is for every game the rest of the season. Can Nebraska get off to a good start, build some confidence, and play high-intensity defense uh, for a full game? If they can do that, they're going to have a chance to win this game. But if they don't, I mean, they're they're going to find themselves down 20 or so and having to play catch up the rest of the night.
1: And then Gervay Green, uh, that it continues to be um, an interesting story yeah. to follow the, the the roller coaster of how that's gone back and forth. But he once again got an opportunity um, against Ohio State. I mean, what do you envision for Gervais Green here down the stretch?
2: I mean, I would imagine that the door's open now for him to return to becoming a factor. I don't know if he's going to jump right back in the starting lineup, um, especially with how well Thor's playing. But, uh, you know, there was a question going in that game is, would he ever see the floor again as a Husker? Uh, That Northwestern game kind of showed that there was maybe a little bit more to it than just Nebraska wanting to play its best lineups, that they struggled as much as they did, and yet Gervais still didn't play uh, per coach's decision for the second straight game. Well, with about just under five minutes left, you know, Nebraska was struggling once again. Gervais comes in, knocks down a three-pointer, and he finished with 10 points in 17 minutes, hit a couple threes, made some plays, and gave them a little bit of a life offensively. And uh, one thing even um, that Fred Hoiberg said before that game was – Gervais kept a good attitude about him, you know, despite some difficult personal stuff going on, uh, you know, with basically being eliminated from the rotation, he kept a positive attitude. He was still bringing good energy and practice and, um, supporting his teams during games. And by doing that, I think that gave himself an opportunity to get another shot. And he took advantage of it. So I would anticipate that he will continue to be a factor in some form going forward.
1: Well, Nebraska, Indiana, a 6 o'clock Saturday game here at Pinnacle Bank Arena. Robin and the crew will have everything you need to know on that game here on Saturday. And when we come back, we're going to take your questions in the mailbag. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show.
0: This is HuskerOnline.com, your authority on Nebraska athletics.
1: And we're back here on the Husker Online show. Sean Callahan, Robert Washett, Nate Klaus bringing in Husker Online intern, Grace Harmon. Grace, uh, what do you have this week in the mailbag?
4: All right. Well, is AJ Martinez cleared for winter conditioning, spring football? Any update on that?
1: We don't really have a definitive answer on that, but my guess right now would be no as far as like – you know what he's doing i would i would think whatever he's doing it's very very limited um but they didn't divulge a lot about a surgery frost did say in december though he wouldn't expect it to be him out keep him out for the spring um so if he did have a shoulder thing it must not have been a major one because a lot of shoulders t- do take six months to, to fully recover
2: yeah i'm pretty sure it was his non-throwing shoulder but still uh, i would Imagine he's if he's out there, he's going to be limited. I mean, they're not going to take any risks with any setbacks in spring ball. And, you know, for all those people that uh, were really clamoring for a quarterback competition, there you go. I mean, if you got your quote-unquote starter, uh, that's going to be limited. That's going to open the door for a lot of reps for those younger guys that are going to be able to showcase – what they can do um, with a lot of guys on campus that are going to be starters on offense next year, so um, I, I, I would imagine that he'll practice in some capacity. But uh, I have a hard time believing he won't be limited quite a bit.
3: Yeah, I don't, I don't see him going full bore. Um, you know, I, I think you you got to be careful. I mean, anytime you're talking about a quarterback, I don't care who it is, uh, and there's some sort of procedure done. I mean, you got to be careful bringing him back and. Um, and we know that, you know, we know he obviously had one. I, I don't know. We don't know the particulars of it, but uh, I would, yeah, I'd be shocked if he was uh, full go uh, completely.
4: All right, staying a little bit on the quarterback track, is this a make or break year for Mario Verduzco?
1: Oh, no. I mean, I don't know why that question's even. I mean, he's really done a really good job of bringing in guys. I mean, you look at the development that they've brought in and guys. I mean, first of all, Vedral. Look what he's done with him. He's got him to play really well. McCaffrey was a receiver really as a junior, played quarterback as a senior, and look how he played. We know what Martinez did as a freshman. He didn't have a great sophomore year, and we know Smothers. So I would say you could argue – no coach has recruited and developed top to bottom better than Mario Verduzco.
2: Yeah, Nebraska's quarterback room is better than it's been in decades, probably. And a lot of that has to do with Mario Verduzco. And not only his recruiting, but, uh, I mean, he, he has a culture in that room that makes guys better. Uh, and it's a it's an odd philosophy. You know, it doesn't all, all click with everybody. But the guys that, that want to come play for him, I mean, that, that – that connects with them in a way that not not too many coaches can do and um, you know I mean the track record speaks for itself I mean yeah you could look at last year but Adrian Martinez was great as a freshman Mackenzie Milton was a Heisman Trophy I mean like just go down the list of quarterbacks he's worked with have all been elite level players and so I would maybe say that last year was a the exception to the rule based off what we've seen over the course of his career.
3: Yeah, I mean, if you're grading coaches based off of, you know, the development of their players or, and how their players uh, perform or produce combined with Um, your ability to evaluate talent and recruit talent. I I think Mario is probably grading out right towards the top of, of everybody. I do think last year's production at that position was a little bit of an anomaly, but um, I mean, there's, there's no question. He is one of the best uh, talent evaluators and quarterback recruiters, I think in the country. Um, And and that's kind of evidenced by what they've done and the talent they've been able to bring in. Plus, to be able to to bring those types of you know highly ranked high profile types of guys into one room and have everybody happy uh you don't see that happen very often across college football these days and so I, and, and that kind of speaks to his ability to manage that room too
4: all right so who are the top two best recruiters on this staff so far at nebraska and who are the worst two recruiters
3: i
1: always gosh darn it, i mean <laughs> i mean come on like I, I think right now
3: you, you have uh, the to top
1: two are easy. easy. Yeah, I mean it's it's Fisher and and um Hell. health, um but you know when when you look at the worst, I mean I think everyone's definition of that can be different, um because some different coaches like you know De- Dewitt last year didn't have a great recruiting year because
2: because he, he had a lot of other stuff a lot going of stuff on. going
1: on. Yeah. Um Troy Walters as an offensive coordinator, you know he he didn't in a receivers coach. You know, he's been a guy, but I, I don't know like if there's technically a worse. Sometimes years just go your way, and Nate, you, you can probably speak on that better than anybody.
3: Yeah, I mean, Nebraska has you know, areas that they recruit. Some guys have better areas than others, and some years there's more talent in, in areas than others, and um, you know, I would – I usually, when looking at, like, best recruiters to, to worst recruiters, I usually put them in tiers. You know, there's kind of an elite level tier, you know, in, in tier one. And then there's kind of a tier two, which is is good, uh, but maybe not quite elite. And then there's maybe that tier three, which is just, you know, average. And, um, you know, and I think the majority of Nebraska's coaches kind of fit into that tier two with – Withheld and Fisher kind of being in that tier one right now.
4: All right, so Nebraska's two remaining spots. How do you anticipate them being used?
3: Nate? Well, I, I think we'll probably see at least one uh, more addition to this class. And right now it looks like it's going to be either a wide receiver, uh, which is Chris Drain, who's visiting this weekend. We'll talk a little bit more about him in the, the recruiting segment. Um, you know, maybe a defensive end, a high school defensive end, uh, Tanoa Tagawai visited in December. Nebraska is still after him. He's got a he's got one more trip coming up uh, before he probably makes a decision. Might take his fifth trip. Uh, he isn't quite sure on that yet. And then Brendan Scott is a four-star linebacker out of Dallas that has uh, you know had been committed to, to Kansas. Oddly enough, uh, just reopened up his commit his uh, recruitment not too long ago. Comes from the same high school as Darian and Damian Daniels at Bishop Dunn High School there in in Dallas. So um, he could also be you know uh, somebody that the Huskers try to. Bring in for a visit, so I think that it probably comes down to one one of those three guys, uh, or one of those three positions. Obviously, if they're looking at bringing those guys in, they're they're looking to add at least one more body at at uh, a wide receiver, defensive end, or linebacker. All right, we got
1: time for about two more.
4: All right, what do you think Frost took away from watching that national championship matchup?
1: I mean, I think when you look at it, Nebraska is a long ways away. I mean, any of those teams in the playoff hunt. Really, all 22 of their starters are NFL level players, and, and, and that's what it takes. I mean, I, I think when you compare eras, to me, that's what's probably different now about this era than earlier eras, like the 90s and the 80s. I feel like, and then you could get away with not having NFL level guys at some positions. I don't know if you can do that anymore. I, I think the, the level of recruit that these teams are bringing in um, and the number of guys they're getting drafted each year. Um, that's what it's going to take to have to play at that level.
2: I mean, the first three rounds of the draft will probably have all 22 players on offensive defense on both ends of the field be, be taken at some point. So, uh, I mean, that just shows the gap between the haves and have-nots in college football where there's a about five or six teams. A handful of teams that stockpile those types of dudes because – those types of dudes who want to play for championships and they want to play in those games. And they think that if I go to Clemson, if I go to Alabama or LSU, uh, I'm going to get that opportunity. And that's hard to sell for other programs that haven't been at that level and haven't had that type of success to lure them away. I mean, because there's really not much more you can sell that's going to garner the attention of a kid of that profile.
1: Well, Nate, think what it's done to the Pac-12. I mean, just with how these teams have continued to pull ahead and the Pac-12 has been left out of the playoff now four out of six years. Um, kids don't want to go to the Pac-12 because they're not in the playoff hunt
3: yeah it's really decimated that league from from top to bottom I, I think uh, I maybe mean, you, you might have an outlier in, in Oregon that's that is uh, that you know pretty talented from top to bottom right now looking looking like uh, you know, a strong contender at least to, to be in the conversation for college football playoff team but outside of that I, they don't really have anybody and um, you know, and to me, yeah, the, the biggest takeaway from watching that game, if I'm Scott Frost is the, uh, the importance of having you know, some elite recruiters on your staff, because you got to bring in dudes. I don't, I don't care how innovative you are as a coach or how well you developed players, uh, whether it's as a coach or your strength, conditioning, nutrition, whatever, uh, you got to have, you got to have dudes, you got to have the cats, you got to have some cats and, <laughs> uh, um, good players make make coaches look great.
1: Final question, Grace.
4: All right. Well, seeing how Bob Diaco will be back in Lincoln for the first game of the year, what is your strangest or funniest interaction with him while he was at Nebraska? Diaco.
1: Well, I, I got a funny story I'll share first. My friend Pete Sampson from the Athletic, um, he used to be at the rivals Notre Dame site, and when I told him Nebraska is hiring Diaco, he goes, "Okay, he goes, be ready." He goes, "I'll just put it like this." He goes. The last conversation I had about Bob Diaco was in the elevator, and he asked me about my baby, and he talked to me about the values of nursing.
2: <laughs> Jesus. <Jeez. laughs> that dude's so weird. It, so, yeah, uh, my best story came, I think it was after one of the Northwestern games when they were out in Evanston, and uh, maybe it was north I can't remember. Anyway, uh, they the defense had just played very poorly once again, and you know, I asked a question just about, uh, you know, it was kind of a – kind of a question just about where things were. And, you know, is, was it surprising that, you know, the, the execution and effort and all that stuff was, was where it was. And, you know, he did this thing where like, he had those like blue steel eyes and he just like (laughs) stared right into my eyes. And like, (laughs) we had like a contest of who was going to back down first and To my credit, there's video of this. I stood my ground and I locked eyes with him and he answered like about a 45 second question uh, or answer. And we didn't break eye contact once. I don't even know if I blinked because I wanted to make it a point to hold my ground. I was like, buddy. I just dealt with Bo Pelini. There's nothing you and your cashmere sweaters can do to to make me back down. Did the did the answer involve the word beautiful player? That may have been the beautiful sons, beautiful, beautiful uncles, beautiful cousins. Yeah, it may that may have been it. Yeah, you got I the mean, sweater shot at least. Yeah, I got
3: the I got the sweet uh, sweater sweater shot of him uh, going back to the stadium to basically gather his his things before they were let go. I I mean I, every interaction um, with Bob Diaco was weird so i mean i i don't know it's hard to like say well yeah there was there's one that really stands out because they were all strange and i think the thing that i'll always remember about him is that his answers just rambled and rambled and but yet they didn't make any sense they they very rarely did he like actually answer a question i feel like he just kind of talked in circles long enough and then moved on to the next question it was He's he's a character.
1: We once saw him at the pool in the summer, and he was wearing white linen pants on the pool deck with a cigar, just walking around the of course pool he deck. Was.
2: Yeah, I'll bet you his outfit was probably like four thousand dollars with those <laughs> those pants. He probably had some like silk button up shirt. Evidently, some he, Louis I mean, Vuitton sunglasses. He's a
1: phenomenal chef. He he claims to have uh, I b- believe it b- or John, John F Kennedy's f- fettuccine Alfredo recipe. <laughs> um, I read that somewhere. <laughs> But he, um, of course he does. DVD told us that story, Nate, when he brought him over the house to cook and, yeah. and he had like, I mean like a full chef deal going and he was like,
3: <laughs> it was, yeah, he's and he takes it very seriously too. When he cooks, it's like, it's like, um, yeah, he, there's no screwing around. He's he's it's not the, like
1: you or me with our Instapots or something. No, no,
3: he's not throwing chicken nuggets into the air fryer. He's uh, yeah. he's he's into it. He's got like some old
2: like Italian music going on, yes. like a nice bottle of Chianti. He's mm-hmm. just really getting into yeah, it's it. Like, I bet you he wears an apron. Absolutely, he does. It, and it's like Godfather type of
3: you know. It's like um, There's a razor blade slicing the garlic. Yeah. Oh yeah, he's
1: not. He's not. He's not <laughs> buying the the prepackaged garlic. No, Hell no. No. All right, well, that's enough Diaco talk. Well, plenty of time to talk about Bob Diaco um, here going into the Purdue game. But, Grace, thank you.
4: Yeah, thanks. All right,
1: when we come back, we'll close the show with some recruiting. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show.
0: This is HuskerOnline.com, your authority on Nebraska athletics.
1: Final segment here of the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Nate Klaus, says we're going to talk some recruiting, Nate. And it's a different January. I wrote that this week. I mean, I think we've been so accustomed to January being kind of the scramble to February signing day. And it's going to be nothing even close to that with just two spots left to use as far as new roster additions go all the way until really August. Um, so it's going to be a lot of getting ahead. And we're going to see two. Um, different uh, junior days. Before we get to that, the segment of the Husker Online Show, Nate, is brought to you by our friends at Coogler Vision.
3: Yeah, you know, this is uh, 2020. We're fit, what, 15, 16 days, a couple weeks into 2020. And, uh, you know, I think with a new year, it comes a time to invest in yourself. And, and there's no better time now to, to ditch the, the contacts, ditch the glasses, invest in clear vision, uh, for yourself uh, do yourself a favor go to dot Cougar, see what they can do for you seven different procedures that they're experts in nobody else in in the state really uh, can can do that uh, I know I'm extremely happy with my procedure and, um, and and I know you will be too
1: all right well um, back on track here uh, Nate. you look at the next two weeks Nebraska is going to have a junior day this weekend and another junior type of event the next weekend and Um, I was thinking about this. I don't ever recall a time that they've had two this early um, before the February signing day.
3: Yeah well the the one that's happening this weekend I don't know if I would necessarily call it a a full out junior day.
1: recruiting event. Uh,
3: Yeah I mean they're definitely having visitors on campus. I've been able to confirm that but at the same time you know from what the feedback I've been getting from a lot of the players that I've been reaching out to and talking with is that the the true Junior Day is on the 25th of, of January, and that they're kind of having the pseudo Junior Day um, early for some players that could not make it for the 25th, uh, or for some really you know kind of kind of more of your your higher end high profile targets. I, I think maybe they're wanting to bring in some guys that that uh, that they're really going after hard that they don't necessarily want to get lost in the shuffle of you know having 20 30 40 different guys on campus so um but yeah regardless i don't recall a time where we've seen them them have two recruiting events before the february signing day it's it's been and if it has happened uh, which there may have been one or two times here over the last 15, 20 years that, that they've done that. But, uh, I mean, it's very, very rare. And, and I think it's going to pay off. I, you know, I think that this could be a cycle where you really start to see, um, you know, how Nebraska's gotten ahead and established a lot of relationships and a lot of connections um, where you really start to see that, that pay off. And, and, and we've already kind of seen it. You know, they're, they're ahead in terms of the overall number of commitments for 2021 at this point in time, too. So um, it's going to be something where I think this class fills up or maybe moves along a little faster than what we've seen.
1: Yeah, what do you see coming in this weekend then, Nate?
3: Well, you know the the maybe one of the biggest names uh, that's coming in this weekend is Thomas Fedoni out of uh, out of Council Bluffs, Lewis Central. You know the the uh, the very talented four-star tight end, there, 220 hundred and twenty-pound uh, athlete, is going to be uh, visiting this weekend, along with Brody Brecht, who is a 195 hundred and ninety-five-pound wide receiver out of Iowa. Uh, Keegan Johnson. The uh, the talented two way player out of Bellevue West, um, son of, of former Husker standout Cluster Johnson, um, you know those those are some guys. Derek Wilkins is a D end out of California that's visiting, um, you know those are some of the more high profile guys that I think they're. Um, they're wanting to bring in and, and maybe spend a little extra time with those players this weekend, and um, you know, and, and hopefully, uh, if if you're, you know, the coaches, I think they're they're hopeful that maybe this, um, you know, that that more attention they can give these guys may result in in some earlier decisions.
1: You're listening here to the Husker Online Show as as we talk recruiting. Nate, what do you think? the priority on the road is going to be here. And, and how do you see in-home business being used? Because you can obviously still use them, and there are some targets out there. I mean, do you think it's going to be really, really um, selective on how Nebraska goes about using these in-homes?
3: Yeah, I think they're going to be pretty selective about it. Um, you know, it's it's something that yeah, you know, I'm, I'm interested to see how it kind of plays out. I don't know exactly what their plan of action is going to be. Now, one thing I do know is that they're going to be – Hitting a lot of these high-valued 2021 targets, um, you know, as much as they can between now and and the end of um, the end of this contact period. So. They are gonna just like we saw last year too with uh, guys like Turner Corcoran and Logan Smothers and Nash Hutmacher. I mean, they were they stopped each week. They made a stop in there and uh, and made sure that those guys knew that they were there. And you know they can't you know the their their interactions with these with these underclassmen are pretty limited. But they're gonna at least have their face shown in those schools. Now as far as the twenty twenty recruits. Um, you know, I, I think we will see a handful of, of uh, you know, in-home visits take place. I mentioned some of the guys. Chris Drain is a wide receiver out of Alabama that's actually visiting this weekend for an official. Um, had previously been committed to LSU and, and Ole Miss. Um, and then when the coaching change happened at Ole Miss, he decided just to completely open things back up and kind of step away and, and reevaluate things. And, and Nebraska has been able to sneak in there. And he's an interesting prospect, kind of a more of that duck-R guy uh, could work out of the slot or even get some carries in the backfield. So um, it, it'd be a, a kick returner, that type of athlete. So uh, we'll see what happens there. We, I anticipate some in-home visits with him. Uh, Tanoa Tagawai, the, the D-end out of Idaho, and then Brennan Scott, the linebacker out of Dallas. Those are three guys that I think we will for sure hear about Nebraska being in-home with.
1: Nate, and then Nebraska did announce their camp schedule on their website this week. Not a lot of surprises. There are going to be a couple of front of Night lights camp uh, camps on there. I know that it's not listed, but they plan to have the linemen camp again on, I believe, the 20th. Um, but really a three-week window this year to have all your camps, and it's going to be jam-packed.
3: Yeah, it is going to be a packed schedule. And Not only that, um, are they going to squeeze that all in and, in kind of three weeks uh, but they're also going to be out on the road, too, with their normal you know, satellite camp tour schedule that, uh, that we've seen them do. So, um, you know, a lot of, a lot of ba- kind of a balancing act with coaches out on the road, coaches taking care of camps uh, you know, on campus in Lincoln. So, um, but yeah, I, th- I think the one thing that really stands out to me with that schedule is that, uh, we're seeing them come out of the gates with a Friday Night Lights camp early in the month and then close things out, uh, with one at the end of the month. And, and I think that makes total sense, uh, instead of kind of having it back to back weekends. Um, and, and we've seen, you know, kids kind of make, make a lot of plans right away and, and kind of allocate their camp money right away, um, and then of course I think they kind of do the same too towards right right before the end of the that, uh, or right before the start of the dead period there at the end of the month of, of June too, so uh, I think that that weekend of June 20th uh, when, when they kind of have a combination of Friday Night Lights camp and Pipeline camp, I think that could be a huge recruiting weekend for Nebraska
1: Yeah, and then they'll have a team camp again and that's something this staff really just wants to keep having, uh, I know last year was the first year they launched it um, and, you know, it, it, Prep was there, Ron Cauley was there, a couple other teams. Um, and I, I think that's something they still see a lot of value in, in the seven-on-seven seven as well.
3: Yeah, I mean, they're investing a lot in that, that team camp and wanting that, that thing to be something that really takes off. And, um, you know, we'll see. I'm sure there, there will be more teams that, that, uh, that kind of take part in that. And a lot of it probably comes from word of mouth. I know that the, the teams that did go to it last year, uh, spoke very highly, highly about uh, their overall experience and everything. So uh, that, I think that will be, be something that kind of takes off here, but it's still going to continue to be you know take some time. Um, you know, because I know, I know with my own high school. I mean, we went to one team camp it was a shattered state every year. It was it was not even a question, not negotiable. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, it was just what you did. And so, um, I think it's going to take some time for the Nebraska team camp to be the the team camp that we go to every year. You know, non negotiable. So, uh, but I do I do like the fact that they're sticking with it. You know, and um, and then of course the seven on seven tournament. I think that's going to be something that that continues to. Uh, to uh, you know, be very you know be very competitive, and and you know, we continue to see an awful lot of teams come to that.
1: Well, lots to follow and talk about here over the weekend. As Robin will have you covered with Nebraska basketball, and Nate, Brian, and Mike will keep you up to date on all the recruiting visitors that will be in Lincoln here over the weekend.
0: Thanks again for joining us this week on Husker Online, your authority on Nebraska athletics.